Please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to your house today to worship you, to hear from your word, uh, and to grow. We ask that you would open our eyes now to see what you want us to see, open our ears to hear the words that you speak to us, and make our hearts ready to be changed uh, by this encounter with you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the question of the week this past week was, what are some of your favorite stain remedies? And I was really excited to hear about this because I'm not much of a neat freak. Being super clean is not very high on my list of values, much to my wife's annoyance. Uh, so I was really excited to hear some of these responses because it was like getting to peer into this world that I don't know <laughs> very much about. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and people had all sorts of cool things that they, uh, that they said. Like somebody said that to clean out fresh fruit stains, you could use boiling water. I didn't know that. And I spill strawberries and stuff on myself all the time. So it's very useful. Or somebody says that for laundry, they use Dawn dish soap. I thought you could just use dish soap for dishes, but I guess you can do more with that. And then one person was a kindred spirit of mine, and they said that I just ignore the mess, or I just don't wear that shirt again. So whoever wrote that, I, uh, I feel you. Uh, and a while ago, I heard this story about a town that had a serious cleaning problem, uh, a serious problem with getting clean. Uh, one day, the residents, they noticed a strange smell coming from their water. And it wasn't like super offensive, it just something seemed off. Uh, and when they looked at it, they could see little like particles floating around in their water. And well, it turned out that a few days earlier, there had been a mistake in the underground plumbing network. A maintenance team had accidentally connected a sewage pipe to the city's water supply. Yeah, just a, a small mistake, you know. No, I mean, from your expression, I can tell, like, that is disgusting. <laughs> you can, can you imagine that? Like, that's gross. Uh, and people freaked out. They immediately stopped using their water. You can't drink the water. You can't shower in the water. You can't do your laundry with that water. You can't do anything with that water. Uh, and can you imagine just the feeling of like feeling gross like on the outside and on the inside? Like how do you, how do you come back from something like that? How do, you, how do you clean yourself after something like that? Like Dawn dish soap's not gonna do it. I don't think we have the, the cleaning secrets to get rid of something like that. And in our passage that we read today from Malachi, he's, he's talking about uh, cleaning. He's, he's actually addressing the Israelites' poor cleaning habits. Uh, because the people of Israel, they were like a lot of their neighbors in the region, in the Middle East, and they had very high standards for cleanliness. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, there were dozens of laws and rituals about how to keep yourself clean, how to keep your home clean, how to keep your family clean. Uh, there were certain foods that you could eat that made you either clean or unclean. Uh, there were rules for how to uh, clean up after certain uh, bodily functions. There were diseases that made you unclean. There were certain types of mold that if they were found in your house that made your whole home unclean. And the only way to be made right after something like that, the only way to clean yourself up, was to go through the proper cleaning rituals uh, and to offer the proper sacrifices. And even then, the sacrifices that you offer had to be perfectly clean. It had to be a perfect, spotless lamb without defect. 
Uh, and these were really strict rules, but this is the way that God had asked them to demonstrate their repentance, uh, to make themselves clean again after they had sinned or after they had done something wrong or after they had found themselves in an unclean situation. And the book of Malachi was written as a response to the Israelites' failure to live up to these high cleaning standards. We read in Malachi chapter 1, verse 8, uh, God is saying, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? The Israelites had stopped giving God their best. They had stopped caring about the cleaning rituals. And there could be many reasons for why they stopped caring about this. But I think uh, it's probably because they weren't really sure that these cleaning rituals really made a difference. See, Malachi was written to the Israelites after they had been taken as prisoners of war into Babylon. They had lost this war with Babylon, and thousands had been killed, and thousands more had been taken away into exile. Uh, and there they sat for decades, nearly 70 years, living as strangers in a foreign land. Uh, and then finally they were allowed to come back. They were allowed to come home to their homeland of Israel, back to Jerusalem. But things just weren't the same. You know, these people had grown up with stories about King David and how mighty a warrior he was, and King Solomon and how rich and wise of a ruler he was, when Israel was the economic and military powerhouse in the region. They were a country to be respected. But now they looked around, and they saw only a shadow of their glory days. You know, when they first returned, they were probably hoping that God would, would send somebody to make Israel great again. But uh, Malachi was written about 100 years after their return, and things didn't seem to be getting any better. So they were probably thinking, well, when we first came back, you know, we offered all the right, right uh, ritual sacrifices, we were careful to keep ourselves clean, and now 100 years later, nothing seems to be changing. We're still not looked at with respect by our neighbors. We still don't have our stuff together. I'm still struggling, I'm still suffering. So why should I give God my best when he doesn't seem to giving me his best? Uh, we have this image here uh, that we use at City Life of a gumball machine, where you put a quarter in, you turn the knob, and you expect a gumball to come out. And that's how sometimes we view God. Well, the Israelites were probably thinking the same thing. I keep putting in the quarters, and no gumballs are coming out. So am I really going to keep putting quarters in? Or if I am, I'm definitely not going to give my nice shiny quarters. Maybe I'll try like these crappy ones, but if I'm not getting gumballs out, I'm not going to keep putting quarters in. And I think this is something that many of us have felt, or questions that we've asked. Why should we keep following these rules that I heard about in church when I was growing up if it's not working out for me? Why would I care about all these religious rituals if it's not making my life any better? I think many modern Americans and progressive Californians see religion as a set of rules that don't really serve that much of a purpose. I mean, Christians make mistakes just as often as anybody else. Life hits Christians just as hard as anybody else, if not harder sometimes. So why would I do all these Christian things if they don't seem to make a difference, if they don't make my life any better? And by Christian things, I mean like all the stereotypical do's and don'ts of evangelical Christianity, like don't have sex before marriage, and don't say swear words, and give some of your money to the church, 
and always vote for a certain party. And many people see this, and they say, no, thank you. You know, I've got other things going on in my life that are a lot more important to me than religious purity, than trying to impress this God that I'm not sure even exists, because I just don't see the results that I think I want. In fact, I'm a lot more worried about a lot of other things going on in my life. I'm more worried about getting the other moms at my kids' school to see me as a good parent. I'm more worried about how to throw the right birthday party for my kids so that I can stop getting this side-eye look from the other kids when I go to pick other kids' moms when I go pick up my child from school. Or maybe you're not so worried about getting God's approval through religious rituals and cleanliness things, but you're more worried about how to finally get your parents' approval. And honestly, I think that's something that every single one of us has wrestled with at some point. I know different people in different cultures hold uh, you know, parental respect in different lights. It's, it's heavier in some and, and less in others. But I think all of us know what that's like to want our mom and dad to look at us with love and approval. And sometimes when we're denied that, as children or in our youth, that is something that we chase after constantly. You know, maybe after years of hearing the message, whether it's said out loud or if it's just implied that you're not good enough or you'll only be good enough once you get this certain job or you get into the right school or once you finally get married and have kids and start your own family or maybe just when you finally get your stuff together, this is what really drives you. It's trying to earn their approval. So who cares about religious purity when my family life seems like a mess? Who cares about being clean and going through all of these rules that don't seem to lead to success when I'm more concerned about my job, about my job being on the line? Well, I think if we take a step back, none of these things are just talking about purity and cleanliness, whether religious purity or cleanliness or just the, the desires that we have for our parents' approval or the approval of our peers, what we're really talking about is being justified. And to justify means to be in right relation. Uh, religious people go through all of these rituals because it seems like the best way to justify themselves, to, uh, to prove to themselves and to God that they are worth approval and acceptance. See, I've done all the right things. I've followed all the right rules. Aren't we in right relationship now? I've done everything you've asked. And even non-religious people jump through these hoops trying to feel justified. You know, we try to find success in our work. We try to earn the respect of the people around us to get other people to like us. We try to earn our parents' approval so that we will feel like our life has a sense of worth and meaning. Like we are in right relationship to ourselves and the people around us. And we try to do all these things to wash away the feelings of inadequacy that all of us have that we're not right, that people are telling us, you are not good enough, you are not in right relationship with me. And so we try to do all these things to wash that feeling away, to make ourselves feel like we're okay. And whether we turn to religion or not, all of us are looking to justify ourselves, to prove that we're worth something and we're more than just our mistakes. And so we find ourselves responding to everything, trying to do all the right cleaning rituals and methods so that we look okay so that we can make things right on our own. And really, you have to work your butt off if that's what you want to try to do, to make sure you're right in your parents' relationships, to make sure that you're right with your boss, to make sure you're right with your neighbors, to make sure you're right with yourself. 
And if you're a religious person, you have to work even harder to try to make sure that you're right with God. And this is where the gospel message starts with a word that might sound like bad news, but quickly becomes good news. And that message is you can't justify yourself. You can't. You really just can't. You can't get yourself clean. You can't do the things that God is asking you to do to make yourself right with him. The Bible calls it sin. Maybe you call it brokenness or sadness or pain or wrong thinking. But our hearts and our minds don't work the way that they should. So we are completely incapable of our making ourselves the person that we want to be. And if you disagree with that, like, tomorrow, be perfect. <laughs> do all the things that you want to do. Be the person that you want to be. And let me know how that goes. <laughs> I think it's, it's like our hearts have accidentally been hooked up to this sewage line. And so our thoughts and our desires are contaminated with selfishness, with pride, with greed, with lust, and fear that other people will see how messy we are on the inside. Because we don't want people to see that. Because we're ashamed of it ourselves, and we're trying to get ourselves together. And this is where Malachi's message finally speaks a word of good news. Because Malachi is telling us that God has come to wash and purify us in a way that we never could. We can't get ourselves clean. We need someone else to do it for us. Because really, we're like a toddler with a really messy face and dirty hands. And I have a nephew who's like eight months old, and last time I was home visiting him, we did bath time. And, you know, his mom scrubbed him clean and got, you know, got his hair in a nice little <laughs> thing that baby hair does in the bath. But that's what we're like. We're, we're a mess, and we can't get ourselves clean. We need a parent. We need a mom or a dad to scoop us up, bring us to the tub, dunk us in, and and scrub away the mess that we've made to make us clean in a way that we can't make ourselves clean. And like Malachi says, he says, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple and he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And Malachi is pointing ahead to Christmas because this is, this is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But he's saying that someone will come to set things right, to show the world what it looks like to have a heart that's not contaminated by sin, to show what it looks like to be a pure and perfect person who loves and is righteous. And while none of us could justify ourselves, uh, he came to put us in right relationship with each other, to ourselves, to creation, and to put us in right relationship with God. Jesus came to set all of these wrong relationships back on the right track, to justify them. He came to clean our mess, and not just to clean it on the outside, but to clean it at the source, to go to the inside. Because that's the only way to clean a mess of this magnitude. Imagine the town with, with the bad plumbing. The only way to fix that problem is to go to the source. They had to unhook the sewage pipe reattach a clean water supply, and let all the garbage and crap flush out. And it probably took a while. It didn't just change overnight. It took a while for that water to go through the pipes and to clean out all the garbage that was in there. But every day, that water was getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And this is what Jesus has come to do in our hearts. He goes right to the source of our mess and our contamination, and he sets up his residence there. In the verses that we read, God says that he will send someone to sit like a refiner and purifier of silver. 
And uh, the Hebrew word that he uses there is yashav, which doesn't just mean to sit, but it also means to live in, to dwell in, to inhabit, to set up your home there. So he's saying that God will justify us by making his home in us and to purify us from the source, from the inside out, because that's the only way to clean up a mess of this size. He unhooks the sewage pipes that have been pumping our hearts full of greed and lust and envy, and he hooks us up to a clean water source that flushes out the contamination so that we can finally be clean from the inside, from the source. And like that town, it might take a while for all that stuff to be flushed out. It doesn't happen overnight, but every day, every day God is cleaning us out more and more and more. And this completely changes the way that we look at those old cleaning rituals because they were never meant to be ways of earning God's approval. That's not what their purpose was. They were meant to come after God had already made us clean. And we, already, we see that in the verses. Like it says, he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. God cleans the Israelites before they give their offerings. We aren't made clean by our offerings, by our observance of these cleaning rituals. We have been made clean, and so we offer. It's the other way around. And so what do we offer? What do we give to God after this? Well, I think the first thing that we offer is our gratitude. When we look at what a mess we were, when we look how badly we needed to be healed, to be cleaned, and to be made right, how can we not at least give our thanks to say, wow, like I could not do that on my own and you did that for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then second, I think we offer our pride. And by that, I mean we give up our right to judge others. Because when we know how much of a mess we are, when we know what situation we were in beforehand, how on earth could we judge anybody else for being wrong? for being in the wrong relationship, for being unclean, when we ourselves were completely filthy and messy and unable to clean ourselves before God made us right. We just can't be people that judge when we know how messy we've been. And finally, I think we offer God more and more of our lives each day. As we get to experience what it feels like to be clean, we want to become more and more clean. And so we start giving more and more to God to be made right. We start giving him control of, of more of our decisions. And we start letting go of the, the, the rituals and the things that we've tried to make ourselves clean. We start leaning into his cleaning methods, which is really just building a home in our hearts. And so we start offering our time to spend that time with Christ, to build that relationship and to meet him there on the inside and work from there outwards. We want to work with Christ as he makes us clean from the inside out. And we look at this passage now during this time before Christmas, uh, during this time of Advent, because the Israelites had to wait a long time for Christ to come. Malachi was saying, somebody will come to make you clean, and that person came in Jesus. But now we are waiting for him to come again to finish the cleaning process. What began in Jesus' life 
and was really set in motion in his death on the cross and his resurrection is being completed, but it's not done yet. And so we read this now and we look at our world and we see the mess around us. We see the mess that still exists in our lives. We see the mess that exists in uh, towns being burned and families being separated. And we wait for God to finish the cleaning process that he started. But we don't wait without hope. Like the Israelites, they waited and waited, and Jesus came. And so we wait, knowing that he will come again. Like we're going to say, before we take communion in a little bit, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so we wait. We wait with hope for him to come again and finish the cleaning process that he has started and that we see in our lives working from the inside out. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making us clean. God, we were such a mess. And yet you came and you set up your, your residence in our hearts, at the source, cleaning us from the inside out. Help us to lean into that to give up the parts of our lives that maybe we don't want to give up, but that we need you to take and make right because we cannot make them right on our own. Lord, give us hope as we wait for you to come and make all things right. Open our eyes to see the amazing things that you are doing in this world, the ways that you are cleaning us even now, and help us to be a part of that process, to make this world a better place, a more just place, where people are in right relationship with each other and with you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.